Hello and welcome to the October 21st, 2019 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have everybody here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. So, guys, I just did a quick playback of the introduction that I literally just recorded, and the reason why I did so is because I am using these ridiculous Samsung, let's see, Samsung wireless earbuds um well first of all because somebody stole my other ones that i usually plug in Uh, but i wanted to see how it sounds and to me i gotta be honest it sounds like the music when it comes on is a little choppy Uh, but it also sounds like once the music goes away uh, my voice appears to be relatively clear so if it's not guys i apologize Uh, i will definitely listen to this back and make sure that everything is good to go so just because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, um, you know, and I'm worried about what this podcast will sound like. I went back again and listened to some of my talking just now. And it sounds like we're good to go, guys. Um, so that's that. I hope everybody's doing well. A lot has gone on. The last time that we spoke, um, I had indicated to everybody that I wanted to do a podcast on post-acute withdrawal syndrome, and we will be doing that today. Uh, but um, it's interesting because I actually, and I never do this, guys, but I was so interested, or, or let, let me put it this way, people out there were so interested in hearing about post-acute withdrawal syndrome, even though I know we've discussed it many times in the past, Um, that I actually put on my calendar what day we were going to do that podcast. And believe it or not, it was October 2nd that I had originally thought of doing that. We might have recorded a day or two after that, but, you know, we're talking a while ago, guys. Um, It's been probably over two weeks now that um, we've spoken, and uh, much of it has to do, obviously, with, you know, as I've said a million times over, my job and... um, you know, my family life, I, I don't know how much we got into, but my mother is out of the hospital, and uh, it's amazing because she let myself and my sister know that her primary care physician called her up to let her know that the hospital released her and should not have because she is bleeding from her stomach and esophagus and her rectum. And uh, she's pretty sure she has cancer. Well, my sister took her to a consultation on Monday. And every single word that came out of her mouth was a lie. And my sister actually said that she looked really disappointed that the doctor said, you know, she's okay. It's pretty clear to me that my mom does not want to be here anymore. She's made many, many comments. And for those of you who have lost parents at different times of your life, I'm sure this is something that's been said many times by either the husband or the wife, the widow, 
you know, so-and-so is waiting for me there, and I want to be with so-and-so, and, you know, so that's my mom, you know, every once in a blue moon, she'll throw in the fact that, you know, my dad wants her there, um, so that's why she feels like she's sick and dying and all those things, but in reality, everybody, guess what? She's not. These are some things that she's made up in her head. And I have to tell you, I went there the other day to visit, and she actually looked better than I've had. Honestly, better than I've seen her in maybe the last five years, maybe longer, maybe even ten years. I mean, so, nah, yeah, six, seven, eh, what does it matter? <laughs> Who cares, really, guys? Um, Here's what I will say, though. It's been a week. Man, oh, man, has it been a week of mania. Pure, full, all right, let, actually, let's step back, hypomania, okay? Um, why I say this is because the irritability was not there. Um, but I have to tell you guys, I mean, all week I've been going on basically no sleep. My OCD has kicked in to the point where, um, and I'm starting to notice, guys, the more manic I am, the more engaged in obsessive-compulsive disorder I get, and probably because it entails me doing things and, you know, straightening out and lining things up. And, you know, I found myself yesterday or the day before, I think I arranged every drawer and, and closet within my sight because that's just what I wanted to do. Um, and I stayed up all hours doing it. And, you know, it's sad because I started to realize, too, that I had put my energy into multiple activities and projects and tasks and really didn't finish any of them um, except for the organization. So um, it's been rough, guys. And when I say rough, I don't want to say that I've been struggling or it's been difficult from a mood standpoint. It's been rough knowing that I am, um, you know, <laughs> I guess, how do I say it? That my symptoms are never going away, no matter what. And the fact that I have uh, not needed much sleep, it just shows me this week that, you know, no matter what, once bipolar, always bipolar. Sorry, guys, I just put you on pause. I'm sure with this new recording instrument here, you're probably hearing the clicks on and off. So I apologize. But anyway, let us get down to business here, all right? Post-acute withdrawal syndrome. What is it? What is it all about? When do you experience it? What happens? Well, it's a nightmare, I will tell everybody that. And just so everybody knows, um, a couple of things. One, the DSM-5, which basically defines all mental illnesses, does not include this within their description of any mental illness. Now, uh, they consider it to be more medical. As a matter of fact, they don't include it because they don't believe in it. And I will tell you that there are several doctors that also do not believe in it. Um, some insist that it is a medical recovery type of thing from, you know, drug addiction, which to some extent it is. Uh, but it affects your mind. And that's why I don't understand why anybody would... Well, I mean, I get it, because every time you look in the DSM-5, anything that you read in terms of characteristics or, you know, criteria, it'll always say, you know, we'll hallucinate without drugs, we'll flip out without drugs, we'll jump on cars without drugs, we'll talk to people without drugs. Um, and, you know, technically, this is from drugs or alcohol when we talk about pause, so we'll call it pause from here on in, stands for post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Um, 
you know, so you're not actively engaged in substance abuse while you have this. Um, it's an after effect of the drug addiction and abuse that you had been engaged in. Most definitely for many, many years, without a doubt. Um, you know, this is, this is what happens, guys. When you are addicted to a drug for that many years and using that particular drug um, to, you know, cope with life, literally cope with life. And I, and I try to explain this to my mother all the time. She doesn't understand why she's experiencing this, these pause. And, you know, from the Suboxone um, experience that I had, I mean, it's very simple, guys. It, it, it's all relatable to the same thing. You know, we put this substance in our body, whether we're self-medicating or not, we're treating ourselves usually because of some symptoms. Um, you know, and the three things here that really matter are opiates, benzos, and alcohol. These are the three things, in my opinion, that will result, result in pause. And most of the times we're taking those things to deal with something else. Now, obviously the opiates for pain, but also we become abusive with them. And we take them because it makes our brain feel better. Alcohol, same thing. Benzo, same thing to some degree. You know, takes away the anxiety, allows us to function. And, you know, here's what I say to my mom, and I sound like a broken record when I say it to her. You're doing these things, or you're, you're engaged in this substance for 10, 12, 20 years, 25 years like my mother. For me, three years and three years, a total of six at different points in my life with Suboxone. And you start to rely on it. Every single thing that, and we'll use my mom now as an example, um, with alcohol, okay? You're happy, have a drink. You're sad, have a drink. You're confused, have a drink. You're mad, have a drink. Um, you know, celebrate, have a drink. I'm down, go get a drink. So every single aspect of life, for the most part, we involve that substance. So when we are addicted to the substance, utilizing it to self-medicate it, self-medicate, or as a reactionary response to something in life that we should be handling without any drugs or alcohol, and all of a sudden now you have to face life head-on without the support or the crutch, so to speak, of that drug or that alcohol, and actually deal with real life, well, let me tell you something. Every single thing that you do is going to be hard. So what is post-acute withdrawal syndrome? Well, it's withdrawal, um, how do I say it? Well, the withdrawals are the results, basically, of those horrible, disgusting, toxic effects that um, the drugs and the alcohol have on the brain. So it's a withdrawal, really. Now, everybody thinks of withdrawal. They think of, you know, the acute withdrawal, which guys in, in layman's turn basically means, you know, the first few days, the first weeks in which they are extremely intense. And I look at, you know, uh, matter of fact, you know, alcohol and benzos, man, you can't even stop those things cold turkey because, you know, you could essentially have a seizure and drop dead. Whereas, believe it or not, opiates, you can stop. Um, it's going to feel like you're going to drop dead, but you won't. You know, you usually could uh, get through those withdrawals without dying, so to speak, although you may feel like it. And it's definitely going to be uncomfortable. And it, you know, it typically ends after about two weeks. Um, but now it's those people like myself who consume a large amount 
aka Suboxone, of that intoxicating substance for a long period of time, aka three years, and then again for another three years at a separate part in my life, well, we are more likely to develop pause. Now, very important to know that there was a time when I was coming off Suboxone, I went on all types of Suboxone forums, and I would write my story, and I would look for responses, and I have to tell you, there were a lot of people that were on the exact same dosages of me, and the, you know the same time frame, and when they came off, they were fine. You know, they had that acute withdrawal that lasted maybe you know two weeks or so, and then they were fine. So it, it, it's all it all depends on the individual. In my personal opinion, I think, and again, most of us, a lot of times, who are abusing drugs are usually mentally ill, vice versa. But I think it's safe to say that when you do have a mental illness, especially if you're not treating it with the proper medication and you come off your intoxicating substance of abuse, you are more likely to get hit with a pause, if that makes sense. Okay? So um, what is it exactly? Well, we just defined it. I mean, when I say what is it, it's, it's, it's a cluster, guys. It's a cluster of these ongoing withdrawal symptoms that honestly never feel like they're going to end. And if you guys want to go back to my Suboxone podcast, you'll hear, and this number is stuck in my head for the remainder of my life, it took me 188 days to even turn the corner. And when I say turn the corner, I felt nowhere near normal at all. You know, it just, I finally felt like I could survive in this world because I will tell you this, mostly the cluster that I'm speaking of are all psychological, okay, and mood related, mostly. That's not to say, listen guys, in terms of physical, you know, books and and internet and doctors and, you know, other people will tell you that it's usually not physical, but I'm going to tell you this, man. Oh, my God, with Suboxone, aches, pains, frequent urination, nauseous, headaches, restless leg syndrome, sleep. Oh, my God. An hour a night, if I was lucky. One hour a night. And honestly, think about this, that these symptoms can be just as intense as those acute withdrawal syndrome uh, symptoms. So the one... That is, you know, post-acute that we're really speaking about, and all of a sudden they start up, and you're in day 20, or 30, or 40, or 50. Uh, you say to yourself, wow, it can't be as bad as that acute withdrawal. Yes, it is. Now, maybe you're not vomiting, but your anxiety, your depression. For me, the biggest things that I had to deal with was anxiety, depression, sleep, being cold every second of every day. And probably the bowel movements that I had to deal with. Now, I do think my mother is bleeding internally because she abused alcohol for so many years. But that's neither here nor there. Just an idea to give you, um, you know, it's, it's, um, eh, whatever. Who cares about that? Uh, God, God forgive me, but once I brought up my mother again, I got um, sidetracked there. So we're going to leave that one alone. Um but really, like I said, it could be just as intense as the acute, and it puts you know a person at risk for a relapse, really, is what comes down to, because a lot of times what they want to do is stop the pain or the discomfort, so they use again, and I had to battle myself all the time for Suboxone, you know, saying to myself, God, I have a whole drawer full 
I mean, literally three years supply still on me. I mean, all it takes, just one little piece and I'll be better. But I stayed away from it. And man, for, you know, about a half a year, I was a mess. And I will say, it probably took me about a year to fully recover when I came off Suboxone. Not so true with the second time, guys, just so you know, because I weaned off properly and slowly, and it took me many, many months to do it. So when I define pause on my own, rather than, you know, coming up with some technical term, I say that post-acute withdrawal syndrome is literally a roller coaster of symptoms that come and go unexpectedly. That's the nightmare of it, okay? Because especially when you think you're getting past it, like there were times where I'd be like, whoa, like 10 seconds, holy crap, I feel good. Like, is this gone? And then you feel good and you're like, wow, maybe I, you know, I overcame it and boom, all of a sudden, you know, they're back. And you don't even really realize, and like I said, this can go on for a year. And, you know, when you do stop, I mentioned it before in the beginning of the podcast, alcohol, stopping alcohol cold turkey is dangerous. I mentioned seizures, you know, you're talking about um, tremors, delirium tremors actually is what it's called. I, I mean, I remember this. I remember this looking up for my mom, you know, what was going to take place. You, you might even have some psychosis. And I know my mother had some. Um, but, you know, all this increases the likelihood of the pause when you stop the alcohol. For the benzos, obviously, everybody knows those are the highly addictive things. Not that the other stuff is not, but benzos, man, God, is the, it's just... It's just a nightmare to get off of. And those withdrawal symptoms that you're going to have post-acute, guess what? They are going to mimic the panic disorder that you originally had, which is why you started taking the benzos, okay, in the first place. Now, we're going to all get panicky, whether we stop, you know, alcohol or whether we stop Suboxone, we're going to get all panicky. But what really throws us for a loop is when we get panicky, in our pause stage, and all along we were trying to stop the panic feeling based on the fact that we could not live because of our anxiety, so that's why we are on benzos. I don't know if that makes any sense, but basically what I'm trying to say is when it comes on, man, it comes on and it is a nightmare, okay? Now, with opiates and Suboxone, um, for me, something else that I failed to mention also was uh, cognitively, guys, I was, a, I was a mess. Like, I was forgetting things. Not that it's any different now, but, um, you know, forgetting stuff. Almost not able to think. You know, I remember, and I've said this before, there was a time I tried to get gas and I was a nervous wreck doing it. You know, just getting gas. That was difficult for me. But what was more difficult or more problematic or, or scary was the fact that I couldn't even figure out how to get my gas tank open because cognitively I was a disaster. My brain was not recovered by any stretch of the imagination. And again, um, you know, those, those, uh, that temperature control in the stomach for me was a nightmare, but what else is included in pause? Okay. Well, irritable, obviously would become very irritable, low energy fatigue guys, hard core, full blown depression 
is usually associated with pause. Keep that in mind, okay? Along with the anxiety and the mood swings. Now, sleep disruption will probably be a nightmare as well. You'll become an insomnia, you know, you'll start to be engaging in, in uh, insomnia. You, you know, with me, like I said, one, two hours a night if I was lucky. All right, and then I was up the rest of the night, um, you know, counting down the hours to work, crying, sweating, freezing, um, you know, and again, this went on for months and months and months. Um, you know, I also had the chronic pain as well. And, you know, listen, benzos, sub- suboxone, alcohol, it's very possible for others to have the chronic pain as well, because I would imagine, at least with the alcohol, that does numb some of the stuff that we're feeling physically for me. Oh my goodness, my knees hurt, my back hurt, everything hurt me. So I had severe chronic pain along with, obviously, a lack of sexual desire. Um, with Suboxone, it's a little different because Suboxone actually decreases your sexual desire. So when I came off Suboxone, that was the one thing that started to come back. And I said, whoa, this is what I was missing all along? Holy wow. Um, you know. And it's almost like you forget, I mean, man, when I was manic and living in mania basically my whole life, you know, I thought I was Don Juan. I thought I was the magnificent Morocco, the Sultan of Swat. I thought my poop didn't stink. That's what I thought. Okay? I thought I could do anything. Absolutely anything. And I have to be honest, you know, sexually, I was a, I was a, I was a wacko, a wackadoo, you know, I, I was into things and engaged in things and wanted my partner to engage in things that, you know, I, I don't think would be probably half my listeners would be like, okay, what's the big deal? Okay. But when you think you're the best at everything, and I got to tell you, man, when you're manic, <laughs> you're operating like that, I hate to say it, I probably was pretty damn good. Um, you know, but then all of a sudden, you know, on the Suboxone, all of those desires and feelings go away. You go from Don Juan to, you know, not want to even touch your girl. So when I came off the Suboxone, that's at least when my hormones started moving again. That was the one good thing that happened. So, um, but I'll tell you this, it was like impossible to do anything for like a year. So, um, now Let's say we're engaging in pause, okay? We're in post-acute withdrawal syndrome. What's going to make it worse? I will tell you this. Drugs. (laughs) If you start doing your drug again and then taking off and going back, it's going to be even worse. Okay, how long you've been on that particular substance and how frequently you used it, um, even how much you used it, is going to play into pause. Longer and the more, the worse it is. Um... Let's see. Um, what makes it worse? The emotional issues, like kind of like what I talked about before, that, that come up during the first year of recovery. Um, those emotional issues make a person want to go back to using drugs, but because we usually don't, or at least if we're, you know, or I shouldn't say usually don't, if our motive is to not go back, well, we're going to deal with all those emotional issues and it's going to make our pause work. And obviously, like I said before, my heart of heart, I believe that being mentally ill is something that will absolutely make your pause worse. Um, and as a matter of fact, even make you susceptible to having pause. Now, 
Um, let's see. What I'm really trying to get at here to some degree is um, if you if you sum it all up, guys, it all comes back to the same thing that really alters our moods when we're not talking about pause, and that's stress. That's our stress response. And it's changes to that part of the brain, guys, during the course of our addiction that contributes to the post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So it's like that stress response and changes to the brain. That's what adds to to the pause. It's like the body and the brain doesn't have that chemical flowing in that it needs. And for the suboxone or, you know, opiates, they begin to regulate functions such as, like, your digestive system, which is why I went to the bathroom 15 times a day when I came off, by the way, for months and months and months. You know, so, therefore, my stomach was a mess. Um, Because, it again, it messes with the functions of, you know, parts of your body. So, you know, the more stressed, man, the worse pause gets. And, you know, in, in terms of educating ourselves on it, well, this is a good start, listening to Mr. Joe. But in terms of treating it, you know, obviously we do have to educate ourselves. And it's it's highly important, guys, that, you know, if you are in the midst of pause, and I know this is not going to sound like you're actually treating it, but you really have to, like, celebrate every single accomplishment that you've made to keep yourself moving a week clean two weeks clean a month clean celebrate it man that actually helps the pause um patience guys if you could develop patience well then you know you got it going because you're going to need patience because it's going to take some time Okay, but it's a, it's a, it's ironic because once the patience does set in and you begin to get a little bit more patient, which usually coincides with the fact that you're feeling just a little bit better, a little bit, you know, the edge has been taken off a little bit. You actually are able then to develop your patience even more. And believe it or not, again, it treats pause. Um, you know, in terms of the sleeping guys, if you want to treat that, I utilized melatonin. It actually worked and helped me sleep, but guess what? For me, somebody who's so sensitive to medication and things of that nature, it actually made me severely, severely depressed on top of the pause. So I was depressed to begin with, and then I started taking the Suboxone, uh, sorry, the um, melatonin, thinking, well, you know what, if I could catch some sleep, maybe this will, you know, benefit me. Uh, You know, lack of sleep can't be too good. And sure as anything, I definitely started to get to you know, some sleep, and I was sleeping a couple hours more a night, four or five hours at one point. I mean, I think for the first hundred and, at least 110, 12 days, um, I was sleeping like more, maybe two hours a night. And then it slowly started, that's when I finally said, you know, well, my God, I got to take something. So 100 days in, I started with the melatonin, and yeah, it got me to sleep like five, six hours, but I realized that I was getting even more depressed. And it took me some time, guys, to figure out that it was the melatonin, honestly. Um, because I said, how is this possible that I'm, you know, I'm supposed to have patience and it's supposed to be getting better and it's not getting better and it's getting worse. And I put two and two together and I got to tell you, once I 
remove that melatonin. It's like my spirits lifted right away, not fully, but it gave me that motivation to move and do what I had to do. So, and I've said this a million times, guys, but exercising is so important. Diet is so important. If you are in the midst of pause, exercise. That was the one issue that I did not have or the one thing that I did not do to help myself along. And I have to tell you, there were times where I was hysterical crying, so depressed, so miserable, and I would go outside and literally run up my block as fast as I could and run back. And I felt better. Not for long, a few minutes, but better to the point where I actually remember my life in the sense where I remember running in from the outside because I was so depressed after doing a little jog. And when I got in, I was standing right near the kitchen sink. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I looked up at God and I said, I'm better. How is this possible? I'm better. Guys, we were like maybe three weeks in. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm better. And then bam, five minutes in, (laughs) I was right back to where I was. But that, you know, the endorphins got moving because I ran. Hence the reason why I was able to feel good for that moment. So if you get into a routine and really start exercising and th- you know things of that nature, it will absolutely help without a doubt. Helps with bipolar, helps with every mental illness. But honestly, guys, helps pretty much with everything in life when you exercise. Um, and obviously, guys, if you are mentally ill like me, you want to take care of that mental health. That is very important. That will help to treat the pause and make it go a little bit quicker. Make sure you're medicated properly. You're not messing around with your medication. And believe it or not, support groups. Are there a lot out there? No, not really. For me, I was in an outpatient program at the time. So it, I would imagine if you are coming off a you know, serious substance, you probably have that opportunity as well. Um, for me, it was an outpatient program in which you know, I sat in groups and we talked about everything. We talked about pause. We talked about how we feel. And I got to tell you, that was the only time where I felt good was when I was in that group, able to listen and able to share. Um, I believe, actually, without that group, I don't know if I ever would have come out of it. I got—I got to tell you, I don't think I ever would have made it, guys. It's—I I just wouldn't have. I needed those people. I needed to hear that I wasn't alone um, and that I wasn't crazy, because I just couldn't imagine that a person could feel. Guys, I got to tell you, all right. There's a couple of things in my life that I talk about that are unforgettable. And I've probably made a list before on this podcast in terms of, you know, mental illness and things that I've dealt with in my life that I feel like, you know, I I don't know how I got through. And, you know, the anxiety and the panic attacks when I was, you know, 20 something years ago where I didn't leave my home for nine months. Obviously, that's top on the list. And then the pause from the Suboxone. You know, I think they're tied. If not, I think the pause might be even worse. Honestly, I think the pause might be even worse because, um, well, then again, I, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't know what the hell it was. But then again, <laughs> when, I, when I was coming off the box and I didn't know what pause was either. I mean, I remember writing in the forum on this little flip phone, you know, with the stupid numbers where you got to press it over and over again to get to the number that you want. Or maybe I had a pull-out keyboard on my phone, something ridiculous. That's how long ago we're talking, guys, okay? So I was not educated about this stuff much at all. It It was, you know, a lot of Dr. Google, a lot of 
a lot of research, believe it or not, going to libraries and, you know, not getting a whole bunch of support or um, agreement, even from my doctor at that time. You know, my doctor, my psychiatrist at that time told me that it wasn't a real thing, you know, but this is the idiot who also told me to jump off of Suboxone at one milligram. Okay, so there you go. Please do not get me into an entire other topic here because we will be, you know, we're going almost 30 three minutes now, guys. So, you know, if you want to get into doctors, which we've done many, many times in the past and what a bunch of idiots they are, um, you know, that's going to be another hour long podcast. So I think it's best that we wrap it up at this point, guys. And listen, I, I apologize in advance. I would imagine most of you guys shut down once you hear the music come on. Uh, probably a good idea to do so in a couple of seconds because if it is as choppy as it was in the beginning of this particular podcast, then I would honestly um, you know, shut this down in a second or two. But uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, if you'd like to reach out, uh, my email is mrjoebp at yahoo.com. And uh, in addition to that, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bipolar Joe. Now, for those of you who are doing well right now with a mental illness, I ask that you continue to work hard. For those of you who are love or you care about somebody with a mental illness or a drug addiction, I ask that you continue to support that person the very best way that you know how. And if you are struggling right now with a mental illness, I ask that you continue to fight continue to battle, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you guys for listening. Talk to you again in a few days. Have an awesome day, guys.